I want to finish what I started last week. I'll try to finish it. If not, we'll get it some other time. But we talked last week. And John, you know, it says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we talked about the, the Word was made flesh. The incarnated Word of God was conceived and made flesh among us. And that Word of God is a seed. It's a seed. You know, the Scripture says in James 1.18 that He begat us. He brought us, birthed us forth with the word of truth. And in 1 Peter it says the same thing by the word of truth. So it was the word of truth being born again. What of? Not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God that what? Lives and abides forever. And Isaiah 55, you know, he said, my, my word will not return void, but it will accomplish that winter I've sent it and will prosper. So we see that the word of God is a seed. You know, in Matthew 13, we talked about the sower sowed the seed. It's the word of God. It says that. And that seed falls into good ground and it brings forth good fruit. So we see that that seed, it's a holy seed that came from God. And he came to the angel came to Mary. And remember, what did she say to him? Be it unto me according to your what? Your word. And you know, I couldn't help but think there. Mary, you know, when, that, when she said, let that seed come to me according to your word. Immediately, what happened? Her soul sprang alive. And she says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. See, when that holy seed came into her soul, guess what? A brand new soul was there to receive that seed into good ground. And it brought forth, what? A wonderful Savior. And we see that in 1 John. You know, it says here in 1 John, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. That's heavy. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know, he is that gift. But that gift does you no good to you what? you receive that gift. And it says, Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, that seed, that thing was born of God. Man couldn't do it. Flesh and blood couldn't do it. But what? But God could do it. First Corinthians one thirty said, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who has made unto you wisdom, sanctification, justification, everything that you could have, God gave it to you so we could be complete in him, that we'd glorify him. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know, I think that's one of the prettiest verses in the Bible. The word was made flesh, incarnate, and dwelt among us. And it says, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, This is the one who comes, I spake, comes after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received. 
See, God gives us grace so we can receive grace. Grace for grace. You have to have grace to receive grace. God thinks of everything. And he says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by what? Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. You know, you look at that that word, unspeakable gift. That gift means it's inexpressible. It's indescribable. That gift is inexpressible, undescribable. It's beyond explanation. It's that gift of Christ. We talked about it this morning that when Jesus came in in that precious gift, so many people have that gift and and we open that gift, but there's so much in that gift, but we don't understand what all that gift's about. You know, and we're beginning to learn that he not only came to to save us spiritually, but 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, what? The God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray your whole spirit your soul and your body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And faithful is he who called you, who has also what? Done it. So not only does he want our spirit saved, but he's also made a way for us to have a new soul, which is a new mind, will, and emotion, because that's part of that gift. And I believe when Mary, when that seed came into Mary, that seed fell on good ground. How many of you agree with that? And immediately she knew her soul was different. Her soul began to magnify the Lord. You know that old man, the Bible says that the old heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And he says the old mind is not subject to God and never will be. But it also says, but we have the mind of Christ. So it's an exchange. See, this whole thing is, of the gift is receiving and exchanging for that. What God has purchased for us so we can be complete. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation, old things are passed away, and some things have become new. <coughs> All things have become new. And remember that scripture in Second Corinthians 5 there where he said, He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That Greek word for reconciliation is exchange. See, the gospel is a gospel of exchange. Why is that? Because we were born of a corruptible seed. And the only answer to the corruptible seed is a new seed. And with that new seed... We get the whole package, spirit, soul, and body. And that's why you start trying to, come, to express that gift of Christ, what, what all that gift covers. It's, it's indescribable, inexpressible. And what is a gift? It's something given without a cause or an occasion, Give with, given without compulsion. It's free. It's without cost, without merit. You know, one of the things that's it's staggering to us, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That word agape is, is it's given freely without any strings attached. See, that's what agape is. You know, we, we look in that, uh, in, in Romans chapter 5. Look with me in Romans chapter 5. Free gift to grace. It says in verse 6 of Romans 5, For when we were yet without strength, 
In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Now look at that. Verse 9, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, and that Greek word is exchanged, remember? When we were enemies, while we were enemies, God exchanged his son. Jesus was made sin for us, so we might be made the righteousness of God. He exchanged our sin for his righteousness. And, and by the death of his son, much more now being what uh, exchanged, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received, received the atonement, which in the Greek is that word in Strong's 2643. It's the same word as reconciliation. It means exchange. How many of you know you've been exchanged? How many of you really kind of glad you don't have to save your own souls anymore? See, and that's because of a seed. You remember in John chapter 12, verse 24, when Jesus, they came and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. He says, It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, I want you to see something. This precious little seed that came from God to Mary that was born of Christ, and for three and a half years, he healed the sick, he cleansed the lepers, he cast out devils, he did all these things as the incarnate Son of the living God. And now he says it's time for that seed, that seed of God and man that comes together. It's imperative that that seed die. Because if it never died, it would just be one seed. But what he says there in John twelve twenty four, except that coin of sweet or that seed falls into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, <clears throat> it shall what? Bring forth much fruit. But he didn't stop there. And then he says to his disciples, He that saveth his life, which is the word soul, suke, will lose it. But whosoever loses his soul will find it. If any man serve me, let him come after me. Let him follow me. What is he saying? It's time for that old soul, my soul, to die. And basically he's saying it's time for you to let your old soul die too. Because what did he say? If any man save his soul, he'll lose it. But if you lose your soul, you'll what? Exchange it. It'll be exchanged for a new one. Because until you're willing to let it die, it abides alone. But if it die, it may bring forth much fruit. Remember in Isaiah 53.10, when God, talking about in the garden, when God saw Jesus suffering in the garden for our soul, Remember, Jesus went on to say here in John chapter 12 and about verse 26, he says, now is my soul sorrowful. Now is my soul troubled, troubled. And that word is anxious, agitated. For he that knew no sin was beginning to be exchanged for our sin. And he was beginning to be agitated. And he said, what should I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this cause I came. And then in, in Matthew 26, he says, Now is my soul exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And what shall I say? He said, Father, do I have to drink this cup? If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Three times, but he said, Not my will, but yours be done. 
And he drank that cup. And when it says in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased God to crush him, to bruise him, to make him sick, when he shall make his soul an offering for your sins. But what does it say next? He shall see his seed and prolong his day. What seed? Look around. You're part of that seed that fell in the ground and died. That came forth. God will see his seed as a result of his seed falling in the ground. All the seeds that's going to come forth from the next till he comes back and was satisfied. See, there has to become a death before there can be a life. There has to be a death before there can be a resurrection. And what, what have we done in, in, for so many years? We've let God heal our spirits, but we've tried to save our own souls. Our old mind, will, and emotion, we've tried to make those things better. But there's only one problem. It was born of a corruptible seed. It'll always be corruptible. First Peter, the first chapter, it says, See that you, says, Seeing you have purified your souls unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that you love one another with a pure heart. Now, how are you going to purify your souls and love one another with a pure heart? Only one way is when God gives you a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel 36, 26. Can you love one another? We can say we love each other with this old heart, but God said that old heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. I give you a new heart and a new spirit. So then we truly can love one another in sincerity and love with a new heart, and that's part of your new soul. And why, why, what does the next verse say? Being born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed <clears throat> through the word of God that lives and abides forever. So it's that seed, that precious seed that fell in the ground and died, that came to us so we could be born again. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? You what? You must be born again. You know, when Jesus was here, we see that that gift that came, and we see that Christ came to pay the price for that the gift for us. You know what I see a lot of times in us? I see it in me. I don't know about you. But a lot of times, like we're talking about giving here, and I'm going to say more about this next week, but you know when it comes to giving, you can't give the way you need to give out of your old soul. Because that old heart is, is too deceitful. And you know, one of the things that I see, and I'm just going to say this and I'll hit it again next week. There's a lot of teaching going on around the body of Christ now to live a blessed life. The first thing you've got to do is to pay your tithe and pay the first fruits. You do that before you do anything with your money. But I want to tell you something. When Christ redeemed us from the curse, he, he redeemed us from the whole curse, including the tithe. Now, I know that's going to shock some of you, but he redeemed you from the whole curse. And part of that is that curse of tithe. Now, like Steve does every time he gets up here, what does he say? Every man as he purposed in his heart, so let him give. What heart? That new heart. Do you think, as a Christian, God will leave you to, to give less than he would under the law? See, it only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole thing. You can't do away with all the other. 
You know, and then you say, oh, well, but tithing was before the law. Well, sure it was. But Abraham didn't give according to the law. He gave according to his heart. He did that of his heart. So I just want you to, to be thinking about that. And there's a lot of stuff that wants to pull you back under legalism. Now, I know Jesus said in Matthew 23 to the scribes and the Pharisees, you pay tithe of all these things and this, all this stuff, but you've omitted the heavier weight of the law to take care of your parents. He says, this you ought to do not to leave the other undone. But who was he talking to there? Pharisees, who was living under the law. But Christ redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. And I promise you, that new heart will never be stingy like the old heart. And if you try to tithe out of your old heart just to do what's right, you, you're going to be back under a, a striving of giving. But if you get rid of that old striving thing and just give according to God gave you the new heart, I promise you, you'll do a lot more and you'll be without the curse over you. It sure is quiet in here. I've never said this, but I just wanted to say it because I see it going around. And, and it's all right to get rid of all the law but this one thing. No, that one thing needs to go too because God doesn't want us to give out of legalism. He wants to give us to give out of the heart of love that he gave us because it's his heart. And you purpose in your heart to give, not grudgingly or necessity, because it goes down to one thing. He that soweth sparingly will what? Reap sparingly. That's the verse before that. It's okay if you don't want to tithe. But if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. The, pro, the, the, the thing of sowing and reaping still works under grace. It works better. So anyhow, I don't know how I got off onto that. But I think it's, it's according to that gift. We don't understand. You know when it says give without... Uh, you know, I've noticed something here at Christmas time. There's a few times of year, even when the old man gets provoked to give. <laughs> right? Your compassion comes up and you give. And I don't know all the motives behind all that, but it seems like things f- are easier giving in certain times when tragedy comes up or when, when it's something else comes up. It's, so, it's a lot more easy to give. But, you know, we're raised in a society. I saw on the news this teacher that bought 20 new bicycles. And she only gave them to the best ones in her class. Those that was the best got the bicycles. We are raised in a society, in a world, that's performance-oriented. It doesn't matter what it is. You get what you get based on performance. If you're good academically, you get the scholarships. If you're not blessed with a lot of brains and you work real hard and you're not quite there, it's based on your performance. Just about everything in this world is based on your performance. It's given to the best, those who are smarter. But I want to tell you something. God's way is blessed are the poor. He always comes to those that don't have. It's a different standard. When it comes to God. It's not based on your performance. It's based on what Christ did for you. While we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. You know some would. Maybe die for a good man. Maybe. But even while we were sinners. 
God sent his son. Did you know something? God knew when he gave that gift to his son that they would mock him. They would spit on him. They would crucify him. They would do all these things to him. He knew that when he gave his son. And he gave him anyhow. How many of us could do that? I'm afraid I'd be like Alan. Let's just kill them all and let God sort them out. (laughs) But we know where that comes from. But see, that's the kind of heart the Father has. While we were sinners, he did that for us. And that's that gift that he gives without price and without cost. You know, when it came in the book of Acts, when when Peter preached and the Holy Ghost came on the Gentiles, and they were just, it says they were astonished because the gift of the Holy Ghost was poured out on the, on the, the, the Gentile dogs. They had a hard time with this. You know why? Because the Gentile dogs had no right to this gift. They were dogs. They didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. In Romans 5, it says, uh, verse 15, through the offense of one, but through the offense of one, many were dead. Much more, the grace of God and the gift of grace, to what? The gift of grace, which by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. They which receive, what is the word? Receive the abundance of grace and the gift. It's about receiving the gift. The abundance of grace shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Learning to receive is not an easy process. You know, when we said earlier, because we're raised in a society that says you've got to earn it. I was thinking when I was reading this about the time Jenna and I went to Lubbock to this pray, pray Lubbock. We just wanted to go up and see what it was like to have all these pastors come together every week and pray over their city. They go to this high place in the city and pray over the city. And I met a pastor there, Gary Cooksey. He was at Trinity in, in the Lubbock. And he said, why don't you come eat with us when we got through? So we went and ate with him. And, uh, and then he said, well, what are you all going to do? I said, oh, we're just going to spend the night here and look around, just relax. And he said, why don't you come to church tonight? So we went to church that night, sat back about halfway back and never said a word. And, and after the service, he called us up and told everybody who we were, where we were from. He said, I invited them to go eat with me. I really didn't think they would, and they did. And I invited them to come to church, and I, I really didn't think they would, but they did. And he said, I just feel like that God wants us to bless them. Now, this was hard. So he had us come stand there, and they gave us trash bags. And we stood there while all these people came by and put money in that bag. I want to tell you something. That was the hardest thing I've experienced in my Christian walk. I didn't preach. I didn't minister to anybody. I didn't do anything. And I sat there as I watched these people come by and put money in there. And we got to the motel room, dumped it out on the bed, and it's over $3,000. So, you know, then I had to struggle. Now, God, I didn't do anything to get this, so this money can't be for me. It's got to be for something else. I didn't earn it. So it sat on my dresser for a week or so before I could figure out what was seed and what was what. <clears throat> and all the time, God was saying, you've got to learn to receive. 
Now see, until we learn to receive, all this gift that Christ has given us is in vain. We have been given the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and it's all ours. We're complete in him. Everything God has is ours. But until we get rid of this mentality that I don't deserve it, we can't have it. You've got to learn to receive. And I'm telling you, when you're like me and you've worked for everything you've gotten your whole life, that was a struggle. I don't think it was as hard on her as it was me because she was raised in a different environment. But you know what God was trying to show me is I have a lot of stuff to give you, but until you learn to receive, you can't have it. It's available. It's yours. But until you learn to freely you've received and freely give. So that was learning what it really meant to... You you understand what I'm trying to tell you is this whole realm in the spiritual realm is completely different than this realm we're raised in where it's all about what you do. See, over here, it's all about what you do. Over here, it's all about what he's done. Freely. To give you everything. And it's already freely been given to us in Christ. It's all part of that unspeakable gift that he's given us. And we're completing that, that gift. It's incredible. But you know what? I think from that point... I think, her, uh, I can't say for her, but I can say my life began to change drastically. I began to see more of the revelation of what God's freely given us. And you know, he only opens it little. He only lets you see what you can handle. And, and, but he wants us to have the whole thing. That's why Paul said, from the day I heard you were saved, I cease not to pray for you day and night, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is his greatness and all the things exceeding power and everything he's got for you. Why was Paul saying that? Because they was raised under a system that says you've got to work if you get. The whole thing, you've got to work if you get. And he says your eyes of your understanding has got to be opened so you can see it's not about what you do. It's about what he's freely done for you. You ever know that's a little different? No, it's a whole lot different. It's night and day is that difference. And if we could have eyes to see what's freely be given to us already, the struggle is over. See, it's all freely been given to us, and there's not one thing you can do but what? Receive it. As many as received it, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What is the key? Good master, what must we do to do the works of God? This is the work of God, he says, that you believe on me. That's it. You want to do the work of God, just believe what he's done. It's real simple. Why do you want to make it complicated? This whole Christian walk is about believing what he's done for you and enjoying it. Sure, quiet. Probably none of you have ever had that problem I had, but I just wanted to throw that out in case some of you could identify with that just a little bit. See, that is the world we live, we live in. Hopefully, we've learned, we've learned some of that. You know, I think of that song, Your Gift of Love, They Crucified. Your Gift of Love, 
they crucified. That was sung. They laughed and scorned him as he died. You know, I was thinking about when he first came in. And they begin to sing. Emmanuel, God with us. Hosanna to David, the son of God in the highest. Blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. As he rode into the city, they were so excited. And how many of you know it wasn't very long until they were crying, crucify him. Crucify him. Makes you wonder what happened. Well, I know one thing that happened. When he come into the city and he went to, to church and he found the church was not doing what the church was supposed to be doing. It was what? He overthrew the money tables and all it bought and sold and made him a little whip and really just kind of beat them all up and sent them out. And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then after he drove them out, it says an all that was sick and lame and halt came and he healed them all. And the children began to cry, Hosanna to God in the highest. And the Pharisee says, why don't you make them kids be quiet? He said, if them kids was to be quiet, the rocks would sing out. And I think he just rubbed the religious crowd the wrong way and they began to get the people upset about this guy that came. We was talking about this morning when he raised Lazarus from the dead. The next page says this. We know, the Pharisees and the scribes said, we know a notable miracle has been done. We can't deny the fact that he raised him from the dead. But it really don't matter. We got to kill him. Because if we don't kill him, we're going to lose our job. That's what he said. And it goes on there and it says, though he'd done all these miracles right before him, mighty works before him, they still would not believe. That the saying of Isaiah might say, what? He's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. And that's when he said, if you won't believe, then you can't believe. If you choose not to believe, then you will not be able to believe. So we got to believe in what he's done. And see, I want to tell you, there's, there's hostility going on between your old man and your new man all the time. He's always right. Your biggest enemy, you really want to know your biggest enemy, is not the devil. It's that old man that is constantly telling your new man, this ain't right. He's hostile towards God. He's not subject to God, the Bible says, and never will be. That's why you got to what? Wrecking him to be dead indeed see when Christ was crucified your old man was crucified with you amen that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin for by one offering he has perfected forever those that are sanctified and when he was buried you were buried and your old man stayed in the grave now when he was raised you were raised When he ascended, you ascended. When he sat down at the right hand of the Father, what? Ephesians chapter 2 said, you've been made to sit with him in heavenly places. Why? We're living by the life of another now. 
Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we no longer live our lives. We live his life. We live our life in him. Why? Because we were crucified. See, the problem is you've got to reckon yourselves to be alive. It's one thing. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the garden. Thank God for the whipping post. Spirit, soul, and body. But if you stop there and you don't go on to the resurrection life, all you are is just a forgiven sinner. Romans 4.25 says he was lifted up, crucified for our sins, our transgressions. Amen? Amen. But he was raised for our justification. See, in the resurrection is where we become a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. That's why it says in 1 John, that which is born of God cannot sin, for his seed remains in you, and it cannot sin. So for me to sin, what do I have to do? Go back to who I was, because who I am cannot sin. And you know what? I choose not to go back. We don't have to go back. If you be risen with Christ, set your mind, your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you're dead. And your life is hid in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. What's the next verse say? Mortify, therefore, the deeds of the old man. Put them to death where they belong. Put off the old man with his deeds. But it didn't stop there. It says, now put on the new man which is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, we've been created in righteousness, true holiness. Do you know what? You cannot do one thing to make yourself any more holy or any more righteous than Christ has already done for you. The biggest trick trick Satan has is to try to get you to do something to make yourself a little more spiritual. When he said, it is finished... What part of it is finished do we not understand? It's that indescribable gift that's been given to us. But the gift doesn't do you any good unless you open it. You've got to receive it. And as many as received him to what? To them gave he power to become the son of God. You know, one of the things the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, you've got to learn to take the strings off of my grace. Take the strings and the demands off my grace. You know, we want to give grace in that old man. But there always with the old man seems to be strings attached. There always seems to be you got to do certain things. You with me? It says there's no strings attached with my grace. There's no demands attached with my grace. But to believe. And what he's done. So, enjoy it. His unspeakable gift. Earthly thrones are generally built with steps up to them. The remarkable thing about the kingdom thrones is that the steps to them all go down. We must descend if we would rise. We must stoop first. 
Some think God has put his best gifts on the top shelf. It does not take long, however, for a Christian to realize that the best gifts are not on the top shelves, but the lower shelves, that even babes may get to them. My ways are not your ways. Philippians 2, 7 says of Christ, He made himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, made in the likeness of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of that, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in the things of heaven and things of earth and everything under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But what did Paul say when he started Philippians 2? He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. You have to let that mind be in you. Why? Because you have two minds. You have that old mind, and you have that new mind. And we have that new mind that's been freely given to us. We have the mind of Christ. But you have to let that mind be in you. And when you let that mind be in you, you realize it's not about climbing the ladder. It's about humbling yourself in the sight of God that he may exalt you in due season. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he, what? May devour. The way up is the way down. And except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and what? Die. I tried to save my soul a long time. Probably my first 10 years, wouldn't you say, Steve? At least 10 years of our walk. We tried to save ourselves. 25, he says. May have been longer than that. What do I mean by that? I, I, I've shared with this, you know, I was raised, raised in an environment where I had to do most stuff myself. And when I got saved, I thank God for saving my spirit. I didn't know that. But I said, thank you. I'll take it from here. I'll be the best hand you ever had. So I fasted, prayed, studied. I did all these things. Hoping what? That God would accept me. I wanted someday to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I had to work real hard, hoping someday to hear him say that. And then, 1976, when he's told me, Ephesians 1, 6, said, son, I've already made you acceptable, highly favored. There ain't one thing you can do to make yourself any more acceptable than I've already made you. So just give it up. And like Steve said, that word there, acceptable, is only used twice in the Bible. And the other time when he said to Mary, you are highly favored in his sight. See, God has made us through his son highly favored. You ain't going to get any more highly favored than that. So there ain't nothing you can do but receive your highly favored place and enjoy it. And get on with living the new life that he's given you as a gift to serve him with. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for your unspeakable gift. It's indescribable. And, Lord, we thank you that even while we were sinners, you gave us that gift so we could enjoy it. Now, Lord, I just pray that all of us would learn what it means to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. And you said, as every man has received that gift, 
Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the grace of God. When Jesus came to the woman at the well, he told her what? If you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I will give you, you'll never thirst. And he said to her, if you knew the gift of God and he that is standing before you, you would ask and he give you living water that you thirst no more. Father, I ask you to give us of that living water so that that thirsting of our soul will always be at a place of rest and peace in you. And we thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.